you can go ahead and be seated this morning, church family. What a good way to start off our time together, uh, praising the name of the one that we serve and getting to do it together. Um, there's no place I would rather be this morning than worshiping with you all, and so I'm glad that y'all are here. Uh, I'm also excited because I get to say something that I haven't been able to say in a year, uh, the last year, and that is this. We are about to kick off a brand new series today. <laughs> uh, and for those of you who uh, have not been with us the last year, we have been walking through, or we walked through, uh, the entirety of the Bible over 52 weeks uh, through a reading plan that we read individually. Uh, we preached from that and taught from that on Sunday mornings and in our small groups, or what we call our Bible groups. Uh, we dug in even a little bit more deeply. And so the last 52 weeks was centered around that one study, that one series. And while we are going to continue to root ourselves in Scripture, to teach from Scripture on Sunday mornings, and to dig even more deeply in small groups or our Bible groups, um, we are going to do a little different. We're going to be doing a three-week series starting today uh, and going next week and the week after, uh, three weeks. Um, and the series is titled One God, One Mission. One God, One Mission. We've spent the last 52 weeks uh, soaking in God's Word, and we've been giving lots of practical application along the way, but what we don't want is to be a church that is hearers of God's Word but not doers of God's Word. And so the next three weeks we're going to be talking about uh, three different aspects of mission. Uh, today we'll talk about uh, personal, what we're going to call personal missions. And what we mean by that is that every single individual who claims to know Jesus is a personal mission that God has set them on to serve him and to make his name known in whatever context they might find themselves in. All of us, nobody is exempt. Right? That's a personal mission. We're then going to talk about uh, church missions. Right? It's the idea that even if you are effectively, personally living out your mission, right, you can't do it alone. Right? We need to be together in the context of a local church. Right? There are things that a hundred believers can be mobilized together to do that one person can't. Right? So God has gifted us with a local church to continue uh, in his mission of making disciples of all nations, which leads to what we're going to talk about the third week, which is global missions, right? Because again, even if you have a local church that's effective, filled with lots of believers all on personal mission, they couldn't possibly reach the globe alone, and so they equip and send people out in support uh, of that task, that global missionary task. God's desire is for all nations to come and know him, all nations and tongues and tribes to to confess that he is Lord, to, to bow their knees, to confess with their mouth that he is Lord. So it's all interwoven together. It's personal responsibility for mission, the local church responsibility for mission, but then the global goal of missions. And so we're going to be talking about that over the next three weeks. But there's one other thing that makes this series unique that I'm really excited for is we are going to hear from several, I would call them guest speakers, but I just want to call them uh, extended family speakers, um, who are going to share from uh, ministries that uh, will help us all do this task together. Um, and so because of that, today is going to look a little different. Uh, we, we're not really doing our normal announcement time. We may uh, address that a little bit at the end of the service. I'm going to preach a little bit shorter than normal, and that's to make time for a few people who are going to come and share um, at the end. But you'll see how it all kind of ties together. But because of that, uh, we're going to go ahead and pray and jump in that God will uh, make this uh, shorter time effective and then I'll be able to uh, walk through it quickly and not long-winded um, and then we'll go from there. So if you all would pray with me over the preaching and teaching of God's word. Lord, we love you. 
We just thank you for this time. Uh, thank you, Lord, for this uh, new study that you have invited us into to look at uh, the mission that is yours, that you have invited us personally into. You have tasked us uh, in communities to participate in and, and, and one that is ultimately global. And so, God, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you have for us today, that you would convict us, challenge us, encourage us, equip us uh, to, to live out, as we talked about today personally, uh, what it means to be on mission for you and your kingdom so that your name will be, be made known and glorified among all people, uh, specifically here in Arlington um, and, and among our friend groups, our families, our co-workers and neighbors and, and the people who are in our context here today. And so, Lord, we uh, just give you this time as it's already yours. Um, we pray uh, that you would make uh, the verses in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 come to life as your word promises us and assures us that they do. Um, and, and, and that we would just leave this place different than we walked in. And so, Lord, we trust you at this time and just ask that you do it the way you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, I normally, uh, when I preach, give a main point, uh, and today's no different. I'd like to start off by giving us our uh, main point, and then we're going to just see that uh, all interwoven through Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd like to go ahead and invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And while you're doing that, I want to go ahead and give you the main point. It's going to be on the screen uh, for most of the service or most of the preaching time today. Uh, so don't feel like you got to uh, just write it all down super fast. But, um, but it's a, effectively a, a definition for evangelism or a, a means by which evangelism is made possible. And I'm going to use mission and evangelism uh, kind of synonymously this morning because the reality is, is our personal mission is that we evangelize, right? They're, they're interconnected as terms. And so, so here's the main point I want to give. This may be the longest main point I've ever had, but we're going to walk through it together. It's this. Effective personal evangelism is sourced by the gospel, commanded by Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, shared concentrically, motivated by an urgency for the lost, and united in prayer with fellow believers. Now, that's a lot. And really all we're doing there is listing six different key elements uh, for effective personal evangelism. And so I want to start just by walking through Acts chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to go very quickly. I'll just kind of add as a, as a little uh, side note uh, announcement that um, our Bible groups all walk through uh, these sermons, and so if it feels like we're going fast, all the more reason to join a Bible group so you can dig into it a little bit uh, more so, um, but we are going to move through it a little bit quickly today, but starting in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, it says this. We'll just read the first three verses. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, the first key element in uh, effective personal evangelism that we see is that it is sourced by the gospel. Effective personal evangelism is sourced by the gospel. And, and really all we mean by that, simply put, is that you can't teach what you don't know, right? If you don't know the gospel, you then can't teach the gospel. 
Right, one of my favorite uh, uh, secular quotes, I guess, is by Albert Einstein, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, but he says something along the lines of, uh, you don't truly understand something until you can teach it simply. Right, and I would almost take that one step further to say with the gospel that uh, if you aren't able to teach something, then you don't really know it at all. Right? Because to know, the go- or to, to know the gospel is to share the gospel. Right? It, is, it is a source that just bursts forth out of us. Right? And that's not to say we don't grow in our understanding and our knowledge and our ability to communicate it, but it's one of those things that, that just comes bursting forth out of us when we truly know it's saving power over our lives. And so effective personal evangelism is sourced by the gospel. Right? When we say the gospel, Luke here is the writer of Acts, and And these first three verses are essentially acting as a bridge between uh, the gospel according to Luke, which was his first account, and then uh, Acts, which is almost like a second account or a continuation from the gospel according to Luke. And the bridge that he's giving is almost as if he's saying, okay, we just saw Jesus's life, right, and and all that he did. We saw uh, him him suffer. We saw him presented to us after. So we saw him die. We saw him raised. And now here is an account referring to the rest of the book of Acts as essentially, I don't want to call it a blueprint, but almost an example of what it looks like to then share that, right? What do we do with what we just saw Jesus do, right? That was the gospel, right? And now here is the account of how they then begin to share, right? Individually, locally as a church, and globally, right? It's all, all we see in the context of the book of Acts, right? Again, all sourced by the gospel, by what Jesus did, in the early account uh, of Jesus. Right, so let me just give really quickly, because I never want to assume that everyone in here knows Jesus, just a very quick highlighted version of what the gospel actually is. When we say sourced by the gospel, here's what we mean. The gospel essentially contains three parts. It starts with God. Right? God is the creator of all things. He created you and I. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is perfect. He didn't need to make mankind. He didn't need to make the world and everything in it, but he chose to out of his love for us. Right? And then he gave us a purpose in doing so, a purpose to know him and to make him known, to multiply that knowledge and that understanding across the whole earth. Right? And that leads us to the second part of the gospel, which is our part, the man part. Right? And that is this, that we, in, in having been created by God, made perfectly in his image, chose willingly, all of us, every person who's ever existed, to rebel against God's design, to rebel against his purpose, his his intended creation, his love for us. We all rebelled from it. Scripture says we actually hated God. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. Every single person, nobody is exempt. And because God's a holy God, he's not a God that can allow that to go without consequence. And so that means that we are all doomed to eternal judgment. We have committed an eternal offense that requires eternal consequence, which is eternity in hell apart from him forever under the fullness of God's wrath. Which leads then to the third part of the gospel, which is Jesus. Because we were totally helpless on our own, God sent himself in the person of Jesus, fully God but but fully man, to live the perfect life we couldn't live, under uh, the guidance of God's intended design, to be in unity with him, to proclaim his name, and to glorify him in all that he did, And then, because he lived that perfect life, he was able to bear the punishment that we deserved, defeating death forever, but then raising from the grave three days later, giving us the hope for righteousness that we didn't deserve, never could have deserved, never could have earned. 
uh, and simply by confessing that he is Lord, Romans 10, 9, uh, we can be saved. Uh, that is the gospel. That is what, what, what Luke is transitioning from in his account in Luke here into Acts, saying that none of what's about to happen could have happened had not the gospel happened, had not Jesus uh, finally fulfilled and completed God's mission to redeem mankind to himself. So that is the good news, that is the gospel. And so effective personal evangelism is sourced by the gospel. And then continuing down verses 4 through 8, it says this, While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Which leads us to see our next three key elements of Effective personal evangelism come from these, uh, these four verses, or these five verses here. Um, and the first one is that personal effective evangelism, or effective personal evangelism, is commanded by Jesus. Right? One, it should be an overflow of the gospel that we have received, the good news that without we could never evangelize. But we also ought to be doing it in obedience simply because Jesus, who again, yes, is fully man, but also is fully God, the same one who created all things. We see that in John chapter 1, right? All things exist through him, and nothing exists outside of him. Right? And, and if he commanded it, then we ought to obey it. Look at the language in verse 4 and verse 8. Verse 4 it says, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, right? but to wait for the Holy Spirit, which in verse 8 it says, You will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come on you after which then you will be my witnesses, right? He's commanding it and then speaking as if it's already going to happen because who, again, knowing the gospel, being sourced by the gospel, could possibly refuse a command by that Jesus, the one who saved us from all things. So effective personal evangelism is sourced by the gospel, but it's also commanded by Jesus. And so we are obedient in its fulfillment. The third thing we see is it is Powered by the Holy Spirit. Powered by the Holy Spirit. Effective personal evangelism is powered by the Holy Spirit. One of the most common objections I'll hear to people personally witnessing or personally sharing the gospel to other people is, well, I just don't feel comfortable, right? Or I just, there's fear. Fear is actually the number one reason why Christians refuse or don't uh, share the gospel with other people. They're afraid of what they might say in response. They're afraid of they might not know the answers. They're afraid that people might get mad at them or they're going to, I don't know, fear. They're going to fear. That's the number one reason why people don't evangelize. And I heard uh, a professor recently say that if that's you, then perfect, right? Because it's not your power or your knowledge or your comfort that is going to effectively communicate the gospel. It's the, Holy, the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. And so if you do feel comfortable and if you do feel like man i got the perfect five-step formula to to share the gospel and if i do it just right i know they're going to be saved and then you're sharing the wrong gospel right the gospel that we know is is 
empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, and only can be received by it. And so if we feel helpless or, or unworthy or not educated enough, it's not that we don't want to grow in those areas. It's rather a reminder that we are totally dependent on the Holy Spirit in us, working in us to make himself known to the people around us. So it's sourced by the gospel, commanded by Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, and fourthly, shared concentrically. That's a word that is new to me. Maybe it's not new uh, to you, but essentially it's almost like a uh, a geometry word. It essentially means that it's multiple circles that have the same starting point, right? Which means they would have to be different sizes. So usually concentric means kind of circles that get slowly get bigger. Uh, and oftentimes when scholars will talk about why Jesus said uh, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world is because he was trying to give reference to that uh, concentric nature of the gospel. It's, it's ever expanding, right? Starting in Jerusalem where they were, then it's going to Judea and Samaria, the next surrounding areas, and then ultimately it's going to the, the rest of the world, right? As if he didn't have any other words to say, that he's like, you know what, just so I don't miss anything, right, to the uttermost parts of the world, right? Ju- Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, to the rest of the world. And I want to give a way that for us, right, we can view our own evangelism as concentric as well, right? Because we, we're not from Jerusalem, we're not from Judea and Samaria, so, so maybe that doesn't speak God's intended message the same way to us today. And so let me, let me paint a different concentric message for us today. Let's start with your Jerusalem as your family, right? Those who you, you, you already know them, right? The relationships you already have, you probably know those who don't know Jesus already, right? Our, our, I would argue that our first call is to share the gospel with our family, right? That would be the innermost concentric circle, right? The second layer in that concentric circle, I would argue or suggest, uh, might be uh, friends, coworkers, any other relationship that we already have, na- like actual neighbors, I will call the first one family, the second one we'll call neighbors, which will just encompass really anybody else we know that's not family, that, that we already have a relationship with, that we may or may not already know if they know Jesus or not. And let me just say, before we even get to the third circle, if we were just to take a poll in this room, right, and have every single person in here write down a list of people that they know, right, family that are unsaved and neighbors that are unsaved, I mean, the potential for God's kingdom to grow in this room is tremendous. I mean, I, I would imagine that there's thousands of lost people that we all know if we were just to write down those first two concentric circles in terms of evangelizing and witnessing. Right, not, again, not by our own power, sourced by the gospel, commanded by Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit in us. But I would argue that those are maybe the, the first two places that we ought to start. Right? It's, again, those categories kind of sum up all the people we know, family relationships, neighbor relationships, maybe coworkers, literal neighbors, the people that live next to you, uh, friends, people who have common interests and, and hobbies, the, the, the person who cuts your hair, right? Th- those would be your neighbors. Right? And so I would argue that in the same way that he commands the disciples to reach Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the other most parts of the world, he's commanded us to reach our families and our neighbors. But then lastly, the third ring of that circle, uh, I would call it strangers, right? people that you don't yet know yet. Right? The, the disciples largely, they, they already knew a lot of people in Jerusalem, and they even would have known of and known some of the beliefs and even known some of the people from Judea and Samaria. Uh, but the uttermost parts of the world, that's kind of speaking to the unknown. 
Because right, here's the truth, is if I kind of had us paint that picture of if, if we all wrote down our, uh, the people we know that are lost in this room, it's a huge amount. If all of us shared the gospel with all those people and they all accepted Jesus, not just for us, but every Christian in the world, if every Christian in the world shared the gospel effectively with every lost person, they all accepted Jesus, do you know that there would still be over 3 billion lost people in the world? That's because there are still people who don't know anybody that knows Jesus. Right? And so our task can't just include the people we already know. It also has to include going and meeting new people and building new relationships as well. Right? And so that can be in the context of hobbies or, or whatever else might be the case. But we have a call and command, not just to our families, not just to our neighbors, but also to those that we don't yet know, right? that we should be seeking new relationships to, to discover whether, they not, whether or not they know Jesus and then evangelize and share the gospel to those people. All right, so sourced by the gospel, commanded by Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, shared concentrically, which leads us then in our text to verse 9, uh, verse 9 through 11, which says this. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way you have seen him going into heaven. Which leads to the fifth, second to last, uh, key for effective personal evangelism, which is motivated by urgency for the lost. I want you to imagine this picture, right? The disciples had, had, had been with Jesus for a long time. They'd, again, he just presented the gospel. Right? He just died. He just rose. Right? They've got this overwhelming sense of what's just happened. They've literally been reborn. They're waiting to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends into heaven, right? And they're literally just standing there. It says they're gazing up at heaven, just watching him, right? Until an angel has to come and say, what are you guys doing, right? What are you waiting for? Right? Go and share, right? Because the urgency is high. And I think that while none of us are looking up into heaven at a Jesus just ascended, I think a lot of times what happens amongst believers is we're, we're just staring at a picture of Jesus, right? Whether that's in our Bibles or whether that's just in our, within our church friend group or whether that's in a Christian pot, whatever that might be, but we're just, eyes are almost so focused on, on Jesus that we're, we're forgetting the fact that what Jesus has called and commanded us to do is to go and share the gospel. And because there are people that are lost, and there are people that if we don't share it, we'll never know of who Jesus is. And so we can't just be the, the, the Christians that are just off looking into the sky. Right? We have to be Christians that are going and sharing because there are lost people who need to hear it. And so we're motivated by urgency for the lost. And the last point is this. And I know I'm moving quickly, but the last point is this. Verse 12, or verses 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The last point is this, is that in order to effectively, personally evangelize or be on mission for God, we have to be united with other believers in prayer, right? You cannot do it 
alone. I cannot do it alone. No person can do it alone. We are meant to do it together. Right? The first thing they do after Jesus ascended is they all got together and began praying. Right? That wasn't like a, a last resort thing. That was the first thing they chose to do right? because they knew that they were totally incapable of being connected to all these other truths outside of praying freely with the God who has given them Jesus and made the good news possible. Right? And, and, and they did it with other believers. They did it together in community. Right? And so we must do the same thing as well. We must effectively share together. We can't do it alone. And so, as I said before, we're going to transition in these next few moments. Again, summarizing the points. Effective personal evangelism is sourced by the gospel, commanded by Jesus, powered by the Holy Spirit, shared consensually, motivated by an urgency for the lost, and united in prayer with fellow believers. And we have some fellow believers who have joined us today that we would like to unite with in prayer and mission to evangelize better to the community of Arlington. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and afterwards I'm going to invite Pastor Nick up, who is going to uh, invite them up to share about their ministry, how we can partner with them. We're going to pray for them. We're going to be united, right? Because, again, we can't do this mission alone. So God has tasked us with different passions and giftings and talents and skills that all are meant to be woven perfectly together to be on mission uh, for his kingdom. So let me pray, and then Pastor Nick will come up for this next time.